0: Genesis chapter 13, and I'm going to begin with verse 1, Genesis 13, beginning with verse 1, says, "'And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle in silver and in gold.' And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly." I want to preach to you tonight this title, The Consequences of Bad Choices. Consequences of Bad Choices. God called Abraham out of his homeland to go to a new land that God would give to him. This would be a place where God would establish his people. When Abraham left home or Abram left home, he took his wife and all his belongings. The Bible says he was a rich man. For some reason, he also took his nephew Lot with him. The Bible does give it a possible reason, but we really don't know 100% for certain why Abram took Lot. In Genesis 11:27 and 28, we see that Lot's father died, so it is possible that Abraham I'm going to say Abraham, Abram, interchangeably, forgive me. It's possible that Abraham took responsibility for Lot. We don't know why he took Lot with him. Because God told him to separate himself from his family. But Lot goes along. After they journeyed to the new land, they soon discovered some problems they were going to have to deal with. There wasn't enough land to sustain all of them, their their cattle, their flocks, and they were going to have an issue. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to sustain all of our, our herds. Abraham decided it was time for them to split up. We're going to have to do something here, so we're going to make a split. He gave the choice to Lot. He told Lot that he could go and dwell wherever he chose and that Abraham was going to go in the opposite direction. Lot, if you go this way, I'm going that way. If you go that way, I'm going that way. You choose. It's up to you. We must be careful about the choices we make in life. Sometimes the obvious choice is not the best choice. Sometimes the easy choice... Turns out to be the wrong choice. Right. Lot looked around and saw the plain of Jordan and that it was well watered. It'd be a great place to raise cattle. If you're out in western Nebraska, you know the, you'd want a lot of water, it's, it makes sense. Your cattle need water. They need food. They need grass. They need something to eat, something to sustain them. And here's the Jordan, the plain around Jordan, and it's well watered. So Lot made the easy choice. It was, in a way, a selfish choice. We don't know even if he even considered Abraham. Did he even think about his uncle? His uncle was the one that took him with him. Did he even think about what Abraham might want? You know what, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prefer you. I'm going to let you do what you desire. Did he even think about it? We don't know if he really weighed the options, but we do know that he chose the well-watered plain. And honestly, if you and I were given that choice, we would probably do the same thing. It's the logical choice. Call it a no-brainer. Lush green grass and water? Yeah, I think I'll pick this. And then the Bible throws in this little clip, and it was close to Sodom. And then it says the men of Sodom were wicked. Things seem to work out for a while, but something happens in Genesis 18. We read of the story in Genesis 18. You can read it later that the angels that were visiting Abraham and Sarah to tell them that they were going to have a son were also on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah and they were going to destroy it pretty amazing these angels had a lot had a big task hey Abraham you're old really old your wife is really old you're going to have a kid oh by the way we're going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah see ya Abraham began to pray for the cities in order to get God to attempt to get God to change his mind. God, you know, certainly there's 50 righteous over there. If there's 50 righteous, would you spare the cities? God said, sure, sure, I'll do that. He said, okay, hold on, how about 45? 40, and he gets them all the way down to 10. God, if there's 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you spare those cities? If they're righteous, 10 righteous. They couldn't even find ten righteous in those cities. God said he would spare it for ten righteous, and there weren't ten righteous because we know that the cities ended up getting destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah were extremely wicked and sinful cities, so wicked that God was going to destroy them, wipe it out. They were perverse. Ezekiel sixteen forty-nine through 50 tells us that the people of Sodom were full of pride, had an overabundance of food. They were lazy, and they refused to help the poor and the needy. The people were proud and committed detestable sins. We also know about the sexual perversion there. Homosexuality was rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were wicked. God said they'd got to go. Genesis 19, we read the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels come to the city. Lot is at the gate when they arrive. He must have recognized them as angels because he bowed himself to them and he invited them to stay in his home. He realized these are men of God. There's something, something here. They're messengers from God. I'm going to have them come to my house. The Bible tells us that the angels had planned to stay in the street all night. They were angels of God. They could easily defend themselves. They're sent to destroy these cities. I think they can handle themselves. But Lot insisted that they stay at his house, so they went with him. Lot prepares a feast for them. While they're eating, the wicked men of the city, the Bible says, the young and the old come to Lot's house to see if he would allow them to have sexual relations with the angels. Let these men come out to us that we might know them. Sick. You see, living close to sin will affect you in ways you could never imagine. The sinful world will take a toll on you. you got to be careful. You've got to be aware of what's going on in our world today. When you make decisions to live close to a depraved place, When you compromise on your beliefs, when you make decisions that aren't spiritually sound, it's going to affect you in other areas. You'll begin to make other foolish decisions. You may not leave what you know and believe. You may not let go of truth, but your choices will have consequences. This story is proof of that. Lot does something while these men are begging him to allow the angels to come out. Lot does something that, as a father, I just don't understand. This makes my blood boil. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Lot did something. I, I just, if, I was, if he was here, I'd deck him. <laughs> Being a father, I can't wrap, wrap my mind around what Lot does next. The men of the city are begging him to have homosexual relations with the angels, the messengers of God, who could easily defend themselves. Instead, Lot offers his two virgin daughters to these wicked, sinful, vile men. Here, have my children instead, but leave the angels alone. Do whatever you want to my kids. Just don't mess with these angels. Consume my kids. Devour my kids. Destroy my kids. Take them. I'm not as worried about my family as I am about these angels. Do what you want with my kids and my family. Just don't mess with my personal relationship with God. This is Lot's actual statement to these sinful men. Genesis 19, verse 8. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Do what you want, my kids. Just don't mess with my relationship with God. Whatever you want to do to my daughters, go right ahead. What kind of father was this nutcase? What kind of dad does that? What kind of father does that? Here, just take my kids. I don't care. Who does that? What was Lot thinking? He was more concerned about his visitors who could handle themselves than his innocent daughters who needed their father to protect them. Sick. Sick living so close to the vileness, to the sin, to the wickedness, and Lot doesn't hesitate to offer his daughters. Now, there is no indication that the men actually took the daughters, but I can see this messing up his girls. Can you imagine hearing your father tell these sick men that they could do whatever they want to you? Being a kid and having your dad say, Here, take my kid. I don't care. Do what you want. Whatever you want. Can you imagine hearing that? The man who is supposed to protect you, nurture you, provide for you, and he offers to toss you to the wolves. It's got to mess your thinking up. The men of God wanted the angels so badly that they nearly broke the door to Lot's house. The angels had to pull Lot into the house. Hey, Lot, shut up and get in here. They caused the men outside to be blind. Even in their blindness, they were trying to find the door. I can't comprehend what Lot was thinking. This is when the angels tell Lot of their mission to destroy the city. They said in the morning, we're getting out of here because we're going to destroy the city. In the morning, they got up to leave, the angels along with Lot, his wife, and his daughters. But apparently, Lot and his family weren't in a very big hurry to leave. If you heard that your city was about to be destroyed, would you hang around? I'm going to sit here and watch it happen. Are you going to get out of Dodge? But they weren't in a hurry, so the angels had to take them by the hand and physically remove them from the city. Come on, we're getting out of here. They instructed them to run for their lives and not look back. Run to the mountain or they would be consumed. Even then, Lot wasn't getting the picture. Beginning in Genesis 19, verse 18, we see Lot make another foolish, compromising decision. He didn't want to flee to the mountain as instructed. No, God, I don't want to do it your way. I don't want to go to the mountain. I know you said that's where I need to go to be safe. I don't want to do that. He wanted to go to the city Zoar, which was nearby because he was afraid that some evil would happen to him, as if the evil in Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't enough. The angels told them to go quickly, and they would not destroy Zoar. So Lot went to Zoar instead of the mountains as originally instructed by God. No thanks, God. I don't want to do it your way. I'd rather go to Zoar. Something bad may happen to me where you told me to go. Where is Lot's trust in God? Just don't trust you, God. Something bad might happen. They entered into Zoar and then God sent fire and brimstone onto Sodom and Gomorrah and he completely destroyed them. In verse 26, we know that Lot's wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Lot's wife was a casualty of one of Lot's many poor decisions. She couldn't bear the thought of leaving behind her home. She couldn't bear the thought of it being destroyed. Even though they were given specific instructions by the angels of God not to look back, she just had to have another look maybe she wasn't a vile sinner like the inhabitants of the land maybe she wasn't wicked and evil but she had lived so close to the sin and the filth that it no longer fazed her it was comfortable to her she accepted it now she longs for her home the memories i may leave it physically but it'll always still be in my heart i miss it i want to go home so what that it was wicked So what that I was surrounded by all manner of evil, vile sin? So what that God sent angels to destroy it? I want to go home. She looks back and is turned to a pillar of salt. We see another instance of the effects of the depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah on Lot. Genesis 19 verse 31 says, And the firstborn, these are his daughters, The firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is not a man on, in the earth to come into, unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Lot's daughters had no sense of right and wrong. They were afraid they would never be married and have children, so they decided to get their father drunk, and they'd have children by their own father. They made him get drunk. They both have children by him. Living so close to wickedness for their whole lives made this seem like it was no big deal. This makes sense to us. And besides, this is the very same man who offered us to the wicked men of the city. So what's it matter? They were spiritually depraved. From these two unnatural unions, we see two nations being born both of which became enemies of Israel, Ammon and Moab. This is where the Ammonites and the Moabites come from. Now, here's something. I, you know how it is when you read the Bible or you're studying and you've seen something time and time and time again and all of a sudden something jumps out at you. Today, I finished my notes up last night. Today, this scripture jumped out at me. 2 Kings three twenty-six and 27 says, and when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even unto the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. You see, when you let the world have your kids, if you let things go, You make dumb decisions. Down the road, it's going to get worse. Our decisions don't just affect us. They affect future generations. I don't know how many generations down the road 2 Kings 3 is. I didn't look it up. But it's several generations down the road from Lot. And here's one of his descendants hanging his own kid up on a wall. Now, before anybody gets defensive about Lot, let me point out a scripture about him. This one blows my mind as well. 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 10, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, says, later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom Because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially a hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Lot was a righteous man, so much so that it's repeated twice. Lot is called a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the people around him. You know what that tells me? A, it means that he lived for God. He was righteous but he was selfish. He wanted the easy way, which is why he chose the well-watered plain. He was a compromiser. He failed to protect his family. His decision in choosing the well-watered plains of Jordan put him too close to Sodom and Gomorrah. Living that close to sin caused him to make many very poor decisions. He offers his daughters to the men on the street He loses his wife because she can't handle the thought of leaving. His daughters were so messed up. We see them having children by their own father. Moab and Ammon are born. Enemies of Israel. Letting go of the doctrines of truth and holiness and living close to the edge will cost you big. Get a grip on truth and holiness. Or sadly you will suffer the consequences down the road. Get a grip on it. Live it. Teach it to your kids. Don't make compromises that will affect your families. Don't make compromises that will affect those who live around you, who are watching you. I know of a man who says he believes in the oneness of God. He has gone to a Pentecostal church in, in the past, baptized in Jesus' name at some point in his life. Best of my knowledge, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Yet he attends a Trinitarian church. They don't teach holiness separation. His daughters were raised in a church which does not teach or uphold biblical doctrines and truth and holiness. It doesn't. They have no concept of holiness. I'm sure they are quite confused when it comes to who Jesus really is. I mean, they go to church and they hear Trinity getting pumped down their throats. The man knows truth, but his poor decisions have had a huge toll on his wife and kids. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. Get a hold of truth. Do not let it go. It is a precious commodity. Don't ever sell it. The world will offer you many things to take truth from you. And sadly, some people sell. The world will say, Do what's most convenient more convenient to go to the church down the street even though they don't have truth it's easier it's closer to your house give you all kinds of reasons not to hold on to truth the world will get you attempt to get you to compromise you know what holiness is so old fashioned you don't have to live like that you don't have to dress like that holiness is outdated the world's going to lie to you but you better have the truth Truth is the only thing that's going to stand up against Satan's lies. Satan will lie to you. He'll take the word of God and twist it. Make it sound right. He'll make it sound truthful. But it's a lie. Satan's lie, lips are moving. He's lying. Proverbs says, while you're at it, get Wisdom. This comes from God. True wisdom only comes from God. Wisdom is not something you will ever find in the world. Worldly wisdom will lead you into sin. We need God's wisdom to help us make right decisions, right choices. Lot lacked wisdom. By instruction. This comes from the word of God. From church, from preaching, from teaching. You don't think you need a pastor, you better think again. You can't be saved without preaching. That's Bible. It's not me. You think I really enjoy doing this? Oh, I want to just get up here and preach. Not, Not my flesh. Not me. It's Bible. This is how it works. This is what the Bible tells us to do. He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, prophet or pastors and teachers why for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ we need a pastor we need to buy understanding we need to understand the things of God we need to understand our actions and choices have either rewards or consequences you do right things you are rewarded you do wrong things there are consequences your choice Nobody makes you go to church. Somebody make you go to church. Now if you're a kid, your mom and dad might. But once you get to the point where you can make your own decisions, nobody makes you go to church. Nobody makes me go to church. Well, you're the pastor, you have to go. That doesn't mean I have to go. I could quit. I could walk out. I could make that choice. Be a dumb one. Nobody makes us do these things. Rewards or consequences. The following scenario is more common than you might think. Pastors have heard things. I've seen. I, I've, I've. been in church my whole life. I've seen things. I've heard things. I've experienced things. This is common. Dad and mom want little Johnny to be in sports. Pastor strongly advises against it. But dad and mom enroll little Johnny anyway. At first, it doesn't interfere with church. Then the schedules get tw- changed, and little Johnny is missing Wednesday night for practice. Then a few games start taking place on Sunday. Now little Johnny would rather hang with his teammates than the church youth group. Then little Johnny starts doing things that mom and dad don't like. He decides he doesn't want to attend church anymore and starts doing things that are concerning to mom and dad. Mom and dad asks for the pastor and the church to pray for little Johnny. Oh, pray for little Johnny. He's out there. We need him to come home. They scoffed when the pastor warned them years ago. And now they're seeing their child wanting to have nothing to do with God. Dad, Mom still attend church while little Johnny's out doing his own thing because Mom and Dad didn't make it important to him. Bad decisions have consequences. We can see the results of what happens when people refuse to acknowledge God. This is the perfect description of today's society. Romans 1, 28 through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's today's society to a T. The sad thing is that was Lot's society as well. Sounds just like the day age we live in, sick and full of sin. You better get a love for the truth and the things of God. You better get a love for it. Get a grip on it. The enemy's gonna try to tell you it doesn't matter, but you better believe it matters. Get a grip on truth and holiness. Now is not the time to flirt with the world. Now's not the time to be looking out there and longing for the things out there. Looking back to Sodom and Gomorrah, I just can't leave it behind. It's not the time to compromise. This is the time to secure truth in our minds and hearts. Our decisions will affect our families. You may not have truth to live you may have truth to live holy, but if you've made poor decisions, your family will be affected. People that are watching you will be affected. But I live for God. I go to church. It's not important for my kids. But I go. That's all that matters, right? Wrong. Just take a look at lot. As a father, it is my responsibility to make sure my kids are being raised in truth and learning what holiness is and why we are to live holy. And I better take them to church, to a church that teaches truth and holiness. Well, if God really wants me to do these things, he's going to have to make me. You know what? God doesn't make you do anything. God isn't going to make you develop disciplined habits. He's not going to make you pray. He's not going to make you tithe. He won't make you repent. He won't make you stay away from sin. He won't make you submit. He's not going to make you do those things. You have to choose it. He'll send conviction your way to let you know that you need to change something in your life, but He won't make you do anything. No one likes feeling conviction. I know I sure don't. When God convicts me, I don't like it because something's exposed in me that needs fixed and I don't want to have to deal with it. You know what it's like? But I tell you this, I'd much rather feel conviction than condemnation. Jesus did not come to condemn us, but to save us. And he does that through convicting us. You know what? You need to fix some things. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Condemnation says you're a loser. There's no hope for you. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you come to live for him, there's no condemnation. He doesn't condemn us. That's why I can tell you if you're struggling with pornography, put it on an altar. Jesus is not condemning you. If you feel condemnation, that's not from God. I promise you it's not. We have a choice when it comes to our relationship and our walk with God. We can be as close to him as we want to be. The closer we are, the better. Just be careful. A bad decision can adversely affect others. However, a good decision can strengthen others. People are watching you you know what, all kinds of problems come their way and they just keep living for God. I don't understand it. There's something different about them. They're watching you. If you're a father, your walk with God may be secure, but your family needs you to be the spiritual leader of the home. If you're a husband, same thing. Your wife needs you to be the spiritual leader of the home. This is your God-given responsibility. God put that on men to be the leader of the home. You don't like that? Talk to God about it. Keep talking until he changes your mind. If you compromise on little things, it's going to affect your family. But if you live for God and lead your family to church, they have a much greater chance of developing their own walk with God. If you act like things aren't important, you're telling your kids that living for God isn't a big deal. But if you take them to church and you make sure they're in church, no, little Johnny, you're not going to play football. I know you really want to. I'd love to see you someday making lots of money doing that, but we're not going to go there. God's got something better for you. It'll turn out better. And you may do everything right. And even then, sometimes our kids will stray. First verse that my Mother drilled into my head when I was little. First verse I remember, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that does not mean that they'll never walk away from church. What it does mean is they'll never walk away from the knowledge of who God is and what it really means to live for God. They'll never forget that. They may walk away and do their own thing, but they're fooling themselves if they think, God isn't real. They know better. Just doing the right things cannot ensure that your kids will definitely live for God. But if you don't make God the top priority in your home, the chances of them living for God are greatly diminished. We need to make living for Jesus our number one priority. We need to be strong spiritual leaders. Men, you have the right and responsibility to put your foot down when you see things in your home that you don't agree with. It's okay to do that. You might get some squawking from time to time, probably because you've never put your foot down before, asserted your God-given authority. But if you do things the way it's supposed to be done, it always seems to work out. Amazing that God knew what he was doing. We need a man up. The world is trying to weaken the role of men in the home. The world tries to make men look like fools and, said, and say they really aren't needed. However, men, we are absolutely vital. Even if you don't have a family, someone is watching you. Someone's watching They're watching to see if you're the real deal or or if you're a phony. Are you a real child of God or are you a pretender? Our choices affect others. Our choices affect others. Lot made a lot of dumb choices. He was righteous, but he left a lot of destruction and a mess in his wake of dumb decisions. Luke 17, 26 through 35 says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so too will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage right up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Notice that doesn't list anything that was wrong. You and I eat. We drink. I got a bottle of water right here. I got married. Someday, if the Lord wills, I'll give my kids in marriage. Nothing wrong with that. But that's all they were doing. They weren't focused on God. They were just going around about their day-to-day business, just whatever's in it for me. Right up until the flood started. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building, But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, anyone who is on the roof with his goods in the house must not come down to take them away. And likewise, the person in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. Gentlemen, you must hold fast to truth and not compromise. Your conference is called Men of War. You want to go to war? You're not going to go to war by being a wimp, spiritual wimp. You're not going to go to war if you don't submit to your pastor. You're not going to go to war if you never pray. You're not going to go to war if you don't take your family to church. That's not war. That's rolling over and playing dead. You get behind your man of God. You want revival in this church, you know what will happen? Revival will break out in this church if you get behind your pastor. Pastor, I'm with you. I'm I'm behind you 100% and then do what you say you're going to do. Back it up. Let his vision become your vision. Well, I I have a different vision. No, you don't. You better get your pastor's vision, the vision that God gave him. Let it never be said of us, we held fast to truth, but we sacrificed our families in the process. Never let it be said that we failed in our roles as husbands and fathers. It's not enough that we were saved when we have others counting on us. To watch out for their souls as well. Neighbors, coworkers, people you bump into every day. Other family members, distant, cousins, aunts, uncles, you name it. They're watching you. Would you stand with me? The coming of the Lord is soon. It's soon. We gotta be ready. First, we must be secure in our relationship with Jesus. If your relationship isn't right with the Lord, you need to get it right. Something's lacking. You need to get it right. You need to fix that. You do that at an altar. You put yourself on the altar, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. You do that. That's our responsibility. You know what that is? That's called repentance. We need to make sure we're ready to meet the Lord. And then let God lead us day by day and help us not to make dumb decisions that would drastically affect our families, those that are seeing us, watching us, following us. I want to make the right decisions. The Bible is full of others. Great examples of men and women who made right decisions. And God blessed them and their families. Even David. David made a bad decision, but he corrected it. And the Lord told him, the kingdom's never going to leave your family. Never. And you know who's sitting on the throne today? A descendant of David. God keeps his promises. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Is everything right in your life? Are there issues in your life you're struggling with? Where are you tonight? God's been talking to somebody about an issue in your life, a decision you're facing, a mess you've created. The Lord is here to help you fix that. This altar's open. Would you come and talk to the Lord?